Welcome back, Eudemaniacs, to the podcast that explores Eudemania. You to what? Eudemania means personal flourishing. I'm Emily Geyser, and I started this podcast to elevate our tools and understanding of flourishing. During this time where so many of us feel tapped out, exhausted, and down, I'm interviewing guests who bring fantastic tools and experience with flourishing to keep us focused on our own sense of well-being and potential. Thanks for spending this time with me. Hello, I am looking forward to this conversation with Brandy Kelly. Brandy describes herself as a hopeless alcoholic bartender who entered recovery as a last resort. She says, doing so not only got me sober, but led me on a spiritual journey that awakened my love for not only my life, but my love for myself and others. Today, I practice gratitude and well-being as a way of life. I share my message of hope and recovery, not only from alcohol, but from thoughts, perceptions, and choices. And today, Brandy chooses joy. I love this. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. You did spend 20 years bartending and the past two years sober and still bartending. So first, I just want to start with a huge congratulations. I know a little bit about your story, partly because you share it so openly on your podcast, The Sober Bartender. I encourage everybody to listen. It's so heartfelt. Um, And the best part of your story is when you took responsibility for your choices. So I hope we'll focus most of this discussion there. But just so people understand kind of where you're coming from and how low your bottom was, give us a little insight to living life as an addict and what that looks like. Absolutely. Thank you, Emily. So yes, I am a career bartender. I've been bartending for 20 years and I've been in recovery longer than two years, but I've been able to sustain continuous sobriety for a little over two years. Um, So my drinking escalated rapidly like in my career so I do like I take so much of my identity as the sober bartender because I was the drunk bartender I was the party with you um and that was fun for the people at the bar unfortunately going home that you know the party had just begun and so my drinking like it escalated quite a bit through my 20s um you know blacking out pretty often um like just a lot of uh, a lot of conflict in relationships and um basically there were just different highs and lows but the lows that really brought me to my knees i um i was 31 years old i was had just gone through a breakup after 11 years i was living on my mom's couch and at that point i had just sold my house in las vegas so i had you know, $38,000. And I had no driver ambition to like set myself up with a life to, you know, take, I had no plan for tomorrow or a next step or, you know, just no self-worth or, you know, concept of the fact that this is still my life without that person. And I turned to my other best friend, which was alcohol. And so, um, you know, I would, I would drink at least one liter of Tito's a day. And I lived on my mom's couch, you know, so I would just drink until I would pass out. I would wake up, I would drink, I would rarely eat. Um, 
And I would fall into this pattern repeatedly. I would come out of that and I would kind of get on my feet and still struggle with the drink. But then as soon as any kind of life happened, that was my go-to. Like that was automatically where I, you know, where I, that was my default. And um, so I don't necessarily have like one rock bottom. Like I was living on people's couches in Vegas, like friend hopping and couldn't figure out why all these friendships were ending as I was like destroying my life and theirs. And like, I was like this tornado that would come through and just cause all this chaos and then look around and go like, what? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just, uh, I had no, I had no concept of what I was doing to myself or to anyone around me. And, um, it wasn't until I was about 35 years old that I was I was physically addicted to alcohol. Um, I was still living in Las Vegas, and it was about a year and a half, two years of just daily drinking. I would wake up in the morning, I would start the shower, and then while that was getting hot, I would run out to the kitchen and I would pour myself just into a coffee cup, you know, a shot of vodka and a shot it's more than a shot for a bartender and I would drink that and you know I would throw up when I brushed my teeth and like it was just you know every towards the end every morning I was telling myself just not today just not this first one like if you can get through the first one maybe you can get through the day and I did not have a say in it anymore um it completely took over my life my body um when you're in full-blown addiction, like you don't have a say, there's not a day off once you reach the point of no return. There were a lot of times where I was just a heavy drinker and I could have gone back, but I didn't want to. So, um, yes, in the end, it was, uh, reaching out to the people around me and just expressing this desire of like, I can't live like this anymore. I don't know what to do, but the people around me were all in it. So I didn't have any kind of support system or, you know, anyone that had a way out. Their way out was just drink less. So um, at one point I was like measuring, measuring like an ounce and a half, two ounces every hour. And that was just so I didn't go into delirium tremens. So I was drinking, you know, those handles of Tito's. I was drinking like half to three quarters of that every single day. And I would just pour it warm into a cup and sip on it like I would water. And I would go everywhere like that. Um, people let me watch their children and understood like Brandy's better when she drinks. Because if you see, you know, nobody knew unless they saw me not drunk that I was just this shaking, shallow shell of a person. So um, I, uh, I just... I got to a point where I wanted to either quit drinking or die. Like I could not live in my body anymore the way I was doing things. I was not there anymore. And so I did um, I did call the number on the back of my insurance card. I got into a, um, a detox in Las Vegas, which happened to be like a facility I had been in when I was 12 for like anxiety and depression because these signs of my ism had come up at an early age. So um, from there, it was not smooth sailing. Recovery was not uh, was not an overnight thing. And um, so I've been on the path since then. And my life is 
completely different. It's not anything like I thought it would be. It's not anything like I thought I wanted it. And I am so grateful for that. I'm so grateful because it taught me how to just get out of the way. Um, you know, get all of my like expectations and all of my, uh, all my fears and anxieties and just, you know, it's, it was really me that was holding me back. And so, like you mentioned earlier, like doing a 12 step program showed me that I made a lot of these choices. Like I, I made the choice you know, to party and drink until it had me in its grips. I made the choice to put myself in a lot of these unsafe situations. And, um, you know, it was like, it hurts to know that you're the one that chose that because I felt like such a victim all of my life. And then realizing like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm kind of the victim of myself. I'm kind of the, I'm the victim of my choices. And then it was this feeling of empowerment like, wait a minute, I get a choice. I can choose differently and then I can get something else. Like what a concept. I never even thought of that. <laughs> it's amazing. So you kind of went through a grief process, right? And I'm sure it was riddled with shame. Yes. And you moved into empowerment. And is I that do. like, is that the road? Or now are you like on a road of empowerment or do these other pieces get mixed into it? Like, Two years is a short amount of time given how long you spent drinking. So it's a daily choice, yes, to stay on the path. Yes, because despite my life being, I mean, unbelievably better, it's still a choice. Like I still I basically wake up an untreated alcoholic. That's what the program teaches us is that, you know, you wake up with untreated alcoholism and it's up to you of what you're going to do that day. I realized that I had, um, I describe it as a soul sickness, you know, because it wasn't all the things outside of me that it wasn't all of the outside things that I thought it was that were bringing me down. It was something inside. So every day I need to remember that there's a piece inside of me that needs love and attention and care. And so I do feel empowered every day because you know, if I choose not to take care of that part of, of me that was so sick at one time, I suffer. You know, I suffer with, you know, negative self-talk, with fear, with self-loathing. And it's so few and or like, it's so rare that that happens, but it still creeps in, you know, it's, it's still there. But I do feel like I'm the one now that gets to choose whether I want that or not. And I think what you're highlighting, you're highlighting something here that is universal. I mean, I imagine every person listening to you speak is like, oh, I've woken up with like self-loathing and fear and these thoughts that can just, you know, these mean girl thoughts, some people call them, that can just really take over. Um, and then I think you're making a really good point that we have a choice in how we respond to those. We absolutely do. And it's so hard to recognize it when you're in it. And so that's why um, consistency is so key. And that self-awareness is so important because then when you know, I know what this is. So even if you don't connect, do that, the, the, you know, the, I call it like, I know, but I don't know in my heart. And so even if it takes a minute for the two to connect, I know in my mind, and that's almost like being the witness, right? Like, you know, 
like, oh, I'm feeling fear or I'm experiencing some self-doubt or, you know, and I don't let those things take over me. Like my emotions have driven so much of my life. Like they've completely just driven me into all these situations because I feel something and then I react. And so in the consistency of having, you know, spiritual tools and uh, personal tools and, um, you know, practicing what I preach, like I've been able to, you know, to love myself through those things. Like I no longer need to call someone in a, you know, a pool of tears. You know, I still call my mom (laughs) when I'm having a bad day, but it's like, you know, I, I am my soft space now. And it's by being strong for myself that I get to be my soft space. Wow. That is so huge. It's by being strong for yourself that you also get to be your soft space. It's by showing up, showing the discipline and the commitment Mm -hmm. and being strong for yourself in that way that you can lean on yourself and trust yourself. Yeah, because it's not easy to, you know, in, in the beginning, it was these things that I had to do. I had to do these things so that I could stay sober. And then, you know, like what? Absolutely. So I love the things. So um, initially, I had to go to meetings. And you don't want to go to meetings because, you know, you're uncomfortable in your body. And you just let go of something that was so close to you, you know, you have a relationship with alcohol and with the action of drinking. And um, so going to meetings, which means interacting with other people, it means um, being transparent and vulnerable um, are the uh, things initially that I hated doing that also saved me. Um, In early recovery, I found a sponsor, which for, you know, non-addicts and alcoholics, that could be a mentor, that could be a coach, that could be a, um, you know, just a a secure friend that's more where you want to be as opposed to where you are, right? That's just not your immediate circle that is going to commiserate with you. That's someone who is on a a forward path. And so that meant a daily gratitude list. I would send her 10 things that I'm grateful for. And it started out with, you know, feeling the sun on my face because I didn't think about that. You know, I didn't even recognize whether the sun was out or whether it was raining or, you know, um, I was thankful for hot showers and for, you know, brushing my teeth without vomiting. It sounds terrible, but that was just my reality. And it seems like it was someone else from where I'm at now. So it's so easy to talk about because I feel like I read it in a book. Amazing. Yeah. So, um, so it it was those things. And then, like I said, it was a, it was a daily, uh, a daily contact with, you know, a mentor. And then it was five things I did that day to take care of myself. So some days that was a shower. Some days that was like reaching out to somebody else who was having a hard time. But some days it was just the basic things. Like I fed myself, I drank water, but you know, so I did that every single day. And that gave me this routine and this regimen. And now it's my ritual that has morphed into something else. You know, the gratitude um, I do with other women that I work with, but now it's become, um, I wake up and I I meditate and then I journal. I do like an in journal where after I meditate, I just free write whatever comes to me. Um, and it starts with what am I to know today? 
And so I'm just in direct contact with that part of me. And for some people, you know, I mean, to me, that's God. Like that's, it's not me. It's not this, you know, it's not this being that's, you know, beaming down on me. It's something that's beaming through me. It's that light part inside of me that is undeniably there that wasn't there before. (laughs) Yeah. And so is that what you're saying you do first thing in the morning as you get up and meditate and journal? What is your, I'll jump to my favorite question because I know it's a big part of you being your soft space for you, but how do you start the day? What what are your non-negotiables for the morning? So I don't drink coffee every morning. I like to, but I don't. But first thing in the morning is I wake up and I sit down and I breathe. I close my eyes and I let this natural thing that we all do, like our life force, I let that bring me into a state of relaxation. And if thoughts come, sometimes I grab the thoughts and I run with them. And then I go back to that breathing and I pick like, am I going to do five, five breaths in, hold for five, out for five? You know, it's not this, um, it's not this super, you know, Zen thing, but it's this, uh, it just, it starts out so simple. Like my mind would race and I would just focus on those breaths and I would count my breath. And um, so I do that every morning and then I sit down and I journal in and then I, and then I send that to my sponsor and she does the same thing and she sends hers to me. So um, that is first thing in the morning, no matter what. I love it. That's so awesome. Mm-hmm. And that is the, um, that's the jumping point because that's where I get to set my intention for the day. That's where, you know, if I don't do it that day and I just let the day take me, you know, if there, you know, I wake up late and I'm running out the door, um, I feel it. Like I feel off, I feel off centered and I feel like, oh, all this discomfort and all these thoughts start jumbling. And I go, oh, I, I didn't meditate this morning. And I will do a 30 second car meditation if need me. I mean, I make that happen because I know that that is what sets me up for success for my day. That's where I go. Oh yeah. Like I, I have control over this. I don't have control over all the things outside of me, but I do have control over this. I, from what I hear from your story, you've really flipped going, being in reactive mode to being in response mode yeah or like proactive mode setting yourself up for your day rather than just responding to what's being thrown at you now i know a lot of people listening you know don't self-identify as addicts um but you have this really cool thing that is you don't think recovery is just for addicts so please explain more about that i absolutely do so we all have our something Right. If when you take away the alcohol, the alcohol was actually a solution for me. That was that was something that took away the discomfort inside of me. And I didn't realize that until I quit drinking, but I wasn't doing anything to treat that. Right. Like there's still a problem. The alcohol was the solution. Right. Yeah. And we all have some part of self. Yeah. I feel there's every single person. I mean, we just turn alcoholics turn to alcohol and then we drink so much that then we rely on alcohol. Right. But when you take away that alcohol, I was not just a shining beaming, you know, human. I was suffering. And so it's really treating whatever that thing is. So I, um, 
I really want people to, to recognize that when you address whatever your part of self is, whatever is holding you back or holding you down, and you know that place, like only you can know that place. Like when you sit down, like whether it's needing to forgive yourself or whether it's needing to forgive someone else, whether it's shame, whether it's resentment, like whatever those things are that I learned about in my 12 steps, like I feel like though we could all benefit from unpacking all of that like in the 12 steps you know we we do a lot of things that help us connect to some kind of higher power that was crucial for me but I don't feel like that so much would be the answer for everyone because we come from a point of desperation our life depends on it but more so like what am I so angry at? Like our four step says, like, what am I angry at? Like, where do I feel wronged? Where do I feel like the victim? And then going through and go, what part of myself did this affect? Like, did this affect my, um, you know, my security, my sense of safety, my emotional well-being? And then, you know, going through and then going, what part did I play in this? Like, where was I selfish? Where was I dishonest? Where was I self-seeking? And when you find your part in it, that's where you find that you can make a change. That's where the empowerment comes from. That's where, you know, the things that you don't have control over, you suddenly have self-control over. I don't have control over what other people say and do, but I certainly get the chance to take control of how I respond to it and how it affects me. So now when there's some kind of, you know, out like there's a coworker that's, you know, like, just being yucky or I don't know there's traffic or there's something that feels really personal and like something that feels like an attack I can know that like that's not about me the only thing that's about me is how I show up to it I get to decide and I did not have that choice and so that's what I that's what I really try to share with people that's what I really try to let people know is that like the story you tell about who you are this is the way it's always been this is, you know, oh, this is genetic. This is handed down in my family. Well, wait a minute. When you take that uncomfortable, vulnerable responsibility, then you get to change your perception. You get to change how you see it. You get to change. You get to decide how you show up. And that is, uh, that's been the most freeing thing for me. Hey, Udomaniac. Thank you for listening to this episode of You Do What? I know you love to learn about health and ways to feel better and get more joy from the day-to-day. You want to experience eudaimonia, right? But are you implementing what you learn and do you feel successful with it? I'm asking because the most common complaint I hear from women is that they know what they should be doing, but don't have the time or the energy to make it happen or to stick with it. I really get that. You probably read a lot, listen to podcasts, and just generally know a lot of stuff, right? But knowing and doing are not the same. And sometimes we need someone with like a 10,000 foot view, an outside perspective to guide us. It can be confusing to constantly clear your path when you're bushwhacking through the weeds. I wanna tell you about one of my coaching programs where you get a step-by-step blueprint for flourishing. MindBodyThrive is my 90-day one-on-one coaching program. 
When you work with me, you won't have to rely on your own clarity or motivation or plans. Your unique blueprint takes into consideration your emotions, your hormones, your stamina, your demands of relationships, work stressors, and just all the balls you juggle. During the 90 days, you'll transform your body, health, and life with the perfect system, great support, and strong accountability. You can create a ton of change and benefits over the course of 90 days, such as increasing your energy and getting rid of the afternoon slumps, improving your sleep so that you feel awesome when you wake up, identifying the foods that are making you fat, sick, and tired, improving your metabolic health, your immune system, your gut health, your mindset. You'll also learn how to create new healthy habits that are sustainable for ongoing growth and well-being. So if you're curious about any of this, get on my calendar for a free 20-minute chemistry call to see what it would be like to work together and if we're a good fit. You can do all this on my website. The links are in the show notes. My website's emilygeiser.com. You can go to backslash coaching to learn more about my offerings and schedule your free call. Would you describe recovery? I know it's a gift given where you were, but is it like, was it a necessary gift for you? Like, do you regret any of your past? I guess. No, Yeah, I do not. Um, and I learned that in recovery because there was so much shame. Even, you know, I had a, a year in, in recovery and I relapsed because I felt like I could do it on my own. I know better. Um, you know, all these things that we tell ourselves when we're not, you know, meditating in the morning and we're not going to meetings and we're not relying on, you know, seeking that guide, that inner guidance. Um, I was just running the show. Well, that discomfort came in and the thought that I could control my drinking came back in. So um, I feel like it was absolutely necessary that that I do something. It doesn't necessarily have to be AA. Like recently I've been going to Recovery Dharma, which is a, a Buddhist led uh, recovery program where you focus on, you know, the, the four noble truths and the eightfold path and you do some personal inquiry. And that's really new, but I'm excited to like explore something else. Cause one of my big, big things that I tell people is it doesn't matter what you do. It's that you find your thing. You find your coach, you find your, your group, you find something that you connect with, and then you go for it. Like you give your all to it. Like I gave my all to this AA and it gave me everything. And that taught me that what I completely apply myself to, what I go, I give a hundred percent to gives me so much more back. And then I don't have to doubt myself. I don't have to doubt the choices that I make because I'm seeking inner guidance and then I'm showing up and I'm showing all the way up, showing up when I don't want to, showing up when I don't feel good. And I'm completely different person because of it. Like my internal life is different. Yeah, that is so huge. And I think what I'm hearing from you like the big takeaway I'm having right now is the healing and community that's happening. Like you said, like you knew all, you felt like you should know all this stuff. And I think what I hear from women is even with um, 
you know, people who don't identify as addicts, but want to change and they feel like they know, they know the things they should be doing, but yet they're not doing it. And it's so hard to ask for help. And something I've been saying lately is like, as women, I think we're taught or we absorb this idea that we're supposed to DIY all of life. Like we just got to muscle through to be like the strong women we are. And I find so much more strength in community and connection. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like one of the strongest things we can do is be vulnerable and be opened. And I, uh, I have said before, like asking for help is the strongest thing you can do because suffering in silence, that's actually not being strong for yourself. And that's not showing up for your family because Mm -hmm. that's us pouring from these empty cups. That's us not putting our oxygen mask on first. Like that's us giving to everyone and then leaving ourselves last. Um, I feel like the community has been an important part. I recently moved from Seattle to Corpus Christi, Texas. I'm down on the South coast. And, um, it was tough at first. Like it was tough not having the people around me. And I feel really comfortable with sitting with myself now, but that becomes isolation. So reaching outward and just showing up and going, I'm new here. I'm uncomfortable. How you doing? You know? And then from there, that's, opened me up to be able to have this community and now I have this new community with the recovery dharma and they call it sangha and that's really what I was seeking when I went there because in AA I haven't really found anyone my age and so the point of that is if you don't find what you're looking for at one place it's totally okay to go Just once again, it doesn't matter what thing you find. It just matters that you find a thing. Like find a group, find a community, find support. And uh, also with the things that we're struggling with, like so many, I struggled for so many years in relationship. Like that was everything. That was my identity. Like I didn't recognize it. I thought I was this individual person, but it was totally so like, you know, addressing your codependency, like that's one of the scariest things ever. And I don't know, I, I would like to say we all have a little bit of it, but I can only speak for myself and I have a lot of it. So, you know, recognizing the things that, you know, like once you know that it's there, like, giving it some attention, giving it some love, like, you know, learning about boundaries, learning about, you know, the things that, uh, that can give both you and your partner a little more peace. Like it feels like you're taking away, but you're just adding to like the more that you just give yourself and give that space in yourself. Like, you know, the more fully you get to live, the more you get to actually show up to your life and enjoy it. Because you're not flailing and you're not a, you know, a victim to your emotions. You're not just letting, you know, letting how you feel run your show. And everybody else wins as a result, right? Pouring into yourself is a gift to your whole, your whole tribe. Everyone. And now people I don't even know. Like, just because I decided to take care of me and I decided to do something that I felt would feed me, like starting a podcast. And, you know, I'm thinking like, this will help, you know, my immediate circle and this will, 
it's reaching people that are going, I feel so seen, I feel so heard. And so me just taking care of me and doing something that was a big, um, you know, a big like bucket list thing for me is totally over, like it's spilling on to all these people around me, just like my mess did, you know, now my message gets to, ah. and, and that's the case for all of us, right? You went yeah. from a mess to a message. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's good, Brandy. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, yeah. you were in the same hospital, you said when you were 13 for anxiety and depression. So would you still identify as struggling with anxiety and depression? I no, no, I do not. So I'm not uh, medicated in any way. Um, so I didn't even realize until I recorded that episode and I aired it. And then my grandma called my mom and my mom called me and my grandma said, well, she didn't mention that she was suicidal when she got hospitalized. My grandma had to pick me up from junior high because I told, I think, I don't know if it was my counselor. My counselor is still my friend from junior high. Uh, <laughs> Mrs. Clark, I don't know if I told, I think I told my counselor and my grandma had to go and get me because my mom worked in a casino and they couldn't reach her. And then they were just trying to help me. So they put me in Monte Vista um, psychological facility in Vegas. And, um, and then when I went to detox, I was right there full circle back. Amazing. But as far as anxiety and depression, I don't struggle or suffer from those things because when they come on, like I let them in like a visitor, like a guest that's knocking at the door that isn't going to stay forever. So I don't put that title on them. I, you know, I'm fortunate that it's not taken over, right? So then when a feeling comes in, I don't go, oh, I'm depressed. I just go, oh, I'm feeling sad over this. Let me grieve it. And then I let the grief leave. I don't become the grief. I don't become the sadness. This reminds me a lot of meditation practices where <clears throat> you recognize, you know, the point of meditation isn't to not have the thoughts. It's to not attach to the thoughts, right? So I was taught like just to see them like clouds and you can be like, oh, there's a cloud and I'm just going to let it go by, right? And come back to center. And I've been thinking about this with emotions as like ocean waves, not that they're going to come, but everyone doesn't have to like knock you, knock you off course. You can still stay anchored and standing and just feel the waves coming through. And you're really giving like amazing words to that. Yeah. So cool. And I, lo I love the wave analogy because it, I mean, I think of that when my life feels crazy and then I picture the Puget Sound because I, you know, I lived up there and my husband had a place. And so I would just sit and I would just look at the water and I'm like, this is life. Like I watch it come and I watch it go, you know, and trying to control it is like trying to tell those waves where to go. Mm -hmm. I can just make sure that I've got a good boat. <laughs> I'm so heartened by um, stories of your family, your mom and your grandma specifically, who, you know, wrote out the mess with you mm. and still sound like good support listening to your podcast. And you say you call your mom on a hard day. Yes. Um, I, is that your boat? You talk about having a good boat. Um, so, no, I feel like once again, I'm my boat. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, um, you know, having, um, having the, uh, 
having myself be my safe place once again. Uh, because if there's holes in what I'm giving myself, then that's where I sink into that water. But as far as my family goes, I am so fortunate. Like I am so blessed when it comes to my family. I still have both my grandmas. Um, my mom, I was horrible to like when I was 12 years old, she would sleep with her door locked with like a knife by her bed because she was scared of her child. Um, I just, I was angry. And like I said, my emotions ran my show and, um, we didn't, you know, we, we got through that, but it was really challenging. Like I could have been one of those kids on Maury Povich in the nineties, you know, like the, what are you going to do about it? Kids? Yep. Thank goodness we didn't do that. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, she, um, she just loved me through all of it. She really did. She loved me when she didn't like me. Yeah. And um, it was, you know, we, we had a decent relationship, but she moved, she moved to California from Arizona when I was like 19. And then when my bottom fell out that first time and um, my relationship ended after 11 years and I didn't have a place to live, then moving in onto her couch, she just loved on me. You know, she, a mother doesn't know what to do when their daughter shows up at 30 and is heartbroken and all they want to do is drink because it's not like she had that struggle with me before it just came into her lap. And, um, so she loved me through it. And even, you know, my, my dad, uh, I pushed him away quite a bit and I really made a mess of that. I have a relationship with him. I just got married last July and he walked me down the aisle And um, it was because I let everybody else off the hook. I stopped blaming my parents and blaming everybody else for all the things that I was feeling. And once I took responsibility, I could love them like crazy. That's amazing. <clears throat> is that the 12th step in the 12 step programs is making amends with people? That's the ninth step. The ninth step. I'm not going to. The 12th that. step is carrying the message. Oh, uh-huh. which you are doing yes yeah and so what's that like to be this beacon now I mean you're doing it I think one-on-one with people with addicts but also through your like you said your podcast and the now conversations like this it's incredible it's the most fulfilling like purpose-driven I wake up every day and I cannot wait to just dive into the message just the message of recovery, the message of it gets better, the message of hope. Like, I just want people to know that there's hope and it's not just for alcoholics because I was hopeless, hopeless alcoholic. Like I just, I really didn't think that recovery was possible for me. I really thought that I was just gonna either take my life or I was gonna drink myself to death. I really thought that. So that's why I'm so open about what my drinking was like. Cause it's like, I was there too. Like I was there and now I have this life. Like I have this peace and I have this joy. And like, that was not a part of my life. Like I had no concept of those things. So carrying the, me- the message is important. So in AA, I got it for free. I give it away for free. You know, that's just, I follow 
a really strict regimen that my sponsor handed down to me. And so I still am in contact with my sponsor three times a day. Like we have one check-in, either call or text. And then with the women I work with, with sponsees, I give them exactly what I got. I don't take, I don't add my own pieces to it. That is just handed down. But now in, um, you know, in doing the podcast and in reaching out to women outside of recovery, um, I offer those gifts in different ways. You know, like the some of the things, like the structure doesn't need to be as rigid when your life doesn't absolutely depend on following it. Yeah. But there are still things that you can add to your life that will, you know, significantly change it for the better. So, so let's go there because, you know, a lot of people listening have days where, and maybe weeks and months, and maybe like the past few years have been so hard on all of our mental health. Right. And so for people who are struggling and just don't feel like life's going to be better that there is joy like uh you know i said recently like somebody said to me is there more to life than laundry like when you're in this just despair what are the first few things that you recommend people do i think the gratitude list is really important just recognizing like man i'm glad that this shower gets hot you know and just starting there when you just start thinking about things outside of you you know like oh, I'm really glad that, you know, I'm not snowed in today, or I'm really glad that the sun came out today, or, you know, just starting with that and being somewhat consistent. You have a choice, like you get to choose and each of your choices determines your outcomes. So that sounds a little bit harsh and a little bit hard, but it's true. Like that's my harsh truth is that you know, you get to cho- you get to choose how you see things. You get to choose your perspective, and that cho- that determines your outcomes and your reality. So, I'm so glad you highlighted that. I talk a lot on here about having agency, and that's what, exactly what you're bringing light to. Is that we have so much control over how we feel. Absolutely, Randy. Thank you so much for your time here today and your open, really vulnerable honest conversation. It, it helps us all. So I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You're so welcome. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah. If you're still listening, thanks so much for sticking around. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass along to a friend. You can help others find this podcast more easily by taking a moment to rate and review. And if you're curious what it's like to work with me or just want to learn more about the work I do in optimizing your own wellness, head to my website, emilygeiser.com. You can connect with me directly on Instagram at emilygeiser. Links for those are in the show notes. I'll be back next week and hope you will be too. Until then, think good thoughts and go for them.